This podcast is for your entertainment only and is not the place to find professional medical advice. Hey guys, Jamie here. I'm here today with Dan Hunt, who's a former Dragons player. And he's going to be talking a little bit about his story with mental health and an organization he has started called the Mental Health Movement. Welcome to the podcast, Dan. How are you? Thanks, Jamie. Thanks for having me on. Uh, yeah, looking forward to it, I guess, to be able to yeah share that power of story, uh, but also, yeah, the, the lived experience around mental illness, uh, but then I guess the tangible uh, tools and, and awareness and education that can help people not just manage their mental health, but, but also uh, manage uh, and live a, 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 a positive, productive life with, with the mental illness as well. So thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks so much for coming. And already you raised such a good point. And just to tell a little bit of our listeners how we met, you came to my work and did a workshop on mental health during Men's Mental Health Week. And I, the power of your story was so amazing. And I think you've captured that so well because I went to the workshop with a cu- couple male colleagues who otherwise probably wouldn't have gone to a workshop if you hadn't been, you know, a former Dragons player. They were, they love rugby. And just raising that awareness is so important. I was wondering if maybe you could tell us a little bit about your story. Yeah, no, it was, uh, it was really, it was a good workshop. I think we had nearly 40 or 50 people in the room um, that day before the social distancing and COVID yeah. shut down the planet. But um, yeah, look for my story, uh, I guess in a, in a nutshell, because um, obviously we don't have all the time in the world, but um, yeah. I had a, a pretty rough or tough upbringing um, around domestic violence. Uh, and as a young person, um, I was taught to get on with it, get over it and harden up. And, and that's exactly what I did. I swept a lot of the things from my past under the carpet Pretended like they, they weren't there and, uh, I guess, put on the, the, the brave face, so to speak. Um, for, for myself, though, I was lucky enough that I had support, uh, in particular rugby league, that uh, helped me through a really tough period growing up. Uh, it got me back on the straight and narrow uh, and I started to be around a lot more positive people, making positive decisions. Um, and for, for myself, it was, uh, it was a bit of a, a guiding light for me. Um, I was, I was lucky enough, it, what, three things that I kind of lacked growing up was a sense of identity, a sense of purpose and a sense of belonging, which uh, are three human needs that, that do need to be met. Um, but rugby league was able to, to give me those. Um, I worked really hard uh, with, with that. Uh, still very up and down, um, very withdrawn at, at times, very angry. Uh, and it was in 2007, I was lucky enough, the hard work did pay off. Um, and, and I made my NRL debut with the, with the Dragons, which was a, a dream come true. But uh, I guess like coming into work uh, or going to work, there's other people. And for, for me, it was 30 men testing yourself physically, mentally, emotionally every single day. And some days I'd come into training and, and train well, I'd play well, uh, I'd be a bit of the joker, the life of the party. Uh, other days would come in, I could have had a conversation with someone. I'd be withdrawn, yeah. uh, I'd be down. Uh, I used to have like two, three, four, triple uh, double shot coffees to try and uh, pep my mood up. Um, to, to be able to, I guess, get through, get through the day. Uh, but I had no understanding of what was going on. Uh, I didn't know yeah. anything about mental health or mental illness back then. We weren't educated on that. 
Um, and we don't know what we don't know. So for me, I just suffered in silence. There's no way I was talking about it or sharing stuff from my past and the, the traumas that affected me and how it affected me. And, and to put my hand up and say, look, I'm struggling. I'm not okay. I need help. I was never doing that in that environment because, um, look, I was conditioned to get on with it, get over it and harden up. I didn't think a man put their hand up uh, and I didn't think a man was supposed to struggle mentally. So yeah. I just did suffer in silence. I put on that brave face or, or that mask, so to speak, and I tried to convince myself and the world that, that I was okay. Um, for me, I, I did go through some, some periods. Uh, in 2010, I had a season-ending injury where I ruptured my Achilles tendon. And we went on to win the grand final that year, which was something that at the time I had a real chip on my shoulder about, a real victim mentality. It was poor me, why me, how's this happened to me? Because uh, that was taken away. I wasn't a part of that. But I did have to get surgery as well uh, on my ruptured Achilles tendon. But I guess the straw that broke the camel's back was that stuff from my past and my upbringing that it come back and hit me like a ton of bricks. And I didn't know how to deal with it. And there's no way I was putting my hand up and asking for help for it because I thought that was yeah. a sign of weakness. Did uh, you? Was, I didn't think that's what a man did. Was there a particular trigger then? Was it the was it the injury? You think that triggered that bringing up that stuff in the past or? Yeah, it was the as as I said like a little bit earlier, footy was what kind of kept me on the straight and narrow. It it, it got me out of the, I guess the environment growing up and it, it gave me that sense of identity, purpose, and belonging. So it was kind of the glue that held things together. But when that was taken away and Going through all that, missing the grand final, uh, I guess things started to unravel. Um, yeah. Surgery, it, it was part of that. Um, changing, like obviously going through the physical uh, aspect of it. But then it was, yeah, that stuff. I don't, I, it was just an accumulation of those things from my past coming back and hitting me. And I didn't have the resilience um, or the understanding or the education that I've got now. Um, so it was just a culmination of all those things coming together at the one time. And with the, I guess, the the injury, you have to get surgery. With surgery, you take painkillers. Uh, but look, I began to take it not just to take away the physical pain. I began to take them to take away the emotional pain. Um, mixing it with illicit drugs, with alcohol, prescription medication. Wow. I was wanting to numb the pain that I was in. Not just the physical pain, but the, the emotional and mental pain that I was in. Uh, look. That's how I've seen a lot of things from my past, um, how people dealt with things through self-medication. And for me, that become a substance use issue. And over an eight-month period, it put me in the, the worst place that I'd ever been in. And I had no idea how I was going to get out of it. Uh, and to be honest with you, I, I was shit scared. Um, but look, yeah. when, when you're in that place, I had my blinkers on. I was only focused on the pain that I was in. I had no perspective. I had no understanding how much it was impacting myself, how much I'd changed. And how much it was impacting the people around me. I was pushing the closest people to me away, treating them like shit, and it was just a it was just a really really tough period. Um, yeah. I was very lucky though that I had uh, the good people, good supports around me. Even though I was treating them poorly and pushing them away, uh, they they which isn't an easy thing now looking back what they they went through. But now having them there, uh, I guess. The stimulus or catalyst that people go through, you can't force someone to seek support or make a change. People need to go through their own stimulus, their own catalyst to be able to want to do that. Uh, and yeah. one of the biggest challenges in the mental health space, it's not so much that there's not enough support out there. It's about getting that individual to that support. 
And that, that was kind of it for me. It wasn't the injury. It wasn't the, the addiction or the substance use. It wasn't even the upbringing. It wasn't missing the grand final. It wasn't any of those things that got me to the point of wanting to, uh, to, to seek that support and make those changes. It, it come down to two conversations. And that's why our slogan at the Mental Health Movement is starting the conversation because you don't necessarily know what someone is going through. They could be wearing that mask exactly the same yeah. way I was. And that conversation can sometimes change and save someone's life. And uh, I had two conversations. One was with my my mum and the other one was with Wayne Bennett. And those conversations changed my perception and how I looked at how I was traveling, how I was going and how much struggle I was in. But then also the impacts of that was having on people around me. And from those conversations, I, I, I realized that I was in a really bad place. I, I realized that, it was okay to struggle as a man. That that was probably one knowing that you got the people around you and that you're not alone. But knowing it was okay to struggle, but it was also okay to seek support. It didn't mean you were weak. It didn't mean you weren't a man. All it mean meant was you wanted to be doing better than what you were. So that's what what I had to do. It was going to be more than just I guess a conversation with Mum and Wayne Bennett. It was I I needed some professional help, um, and and so, that's where I, I went up Black Dog Institute in uh, Randwick. Oh, Black Dog, that's great. So in those conversations, did you have that realization that asking for help isn't necessarily weakness or? Yeah, the first one with my mum was more, uh, she kind of gave me some home truths where you talk about mm. a stimulus or a catalyst. She actually said to me that, look, you're becoming your father. And he yeah. was someone that I was wow. not, not to be like. And you talk about a stimulus or a catalyst that, kind of changed my perception almost instantly. And I started to look at where I was at and what was happening very quickly. And the second one with Wayne was probably the one that answers your question where he, he just checked in on me and, and, and asked how I was traveling. He, he noticed some changes in me. Um, and then after I broke down and I just opened yeah. up and shared stuff, the traumas and things from my past that I'd never shared with anyone. And from that, he didn't say, give me a secret answer or try and solve it all for me. He just said, look, it, it sounds like you're, you, you're doing it really tough. Uh, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of things happening, but it's okay to be going through a tough time. Let's, let's get into the support that you need. And to hear those words in particular coming from him, but um, not everyone's going to have a Wayne Bennett in their lives, but everyone can be the Wayne Bennett and start that yeah. conversation and provide support. So from there going to the black dog Institute um, and getting diagnosed with a mental illness, um, it was it was confronting, but it was also at the same time, other than meeting my wife and having my kids, it was the best thing that's ever happened to me because yeah. it didn't give me a label. Uh, I'm not big on labels, um, but what it did give me, it was some context and like a and some understanding about how I was feeling, uh, my moods, my personality, all these different things. It really did give me an understanding in the diagnosis that I got, which was of type two bipolar, and from that. Yeah. I, I, I looked at it very similar to the way that I looked at all the injuries and the surgeries that I've had, um, which is you, you learn to manage it. I, I no longer suffer with a, a mental illness. I'm not type two bipolar. I just manage type two bipolar and yeah. language is powerful um, for, for us as human beings in the way in we, which we interpret and perceive things. So um, although I have a mental illness, I'm mentally healthy and, and, that, yeah. and that is something that That's is important. achievable. Um, but look, the, the journey started for me when I was diagnosed. Um, and then I learned the coping strategies, the mindset, the support networks, the clinical support, 
um, the protective factors, all these different elements and aspects that you have to put in place for yourself. And I also learned that there's no finish line to this. Um, that it's like we're all, I said, my psychologist said this to me. She's like, why are you always rushing to have your shit together or have it all worked out and, and have everything perfect? Where She said, there's no finish line. We put all this pressure on ourselves. There's no finish line. It's, it's just taking it that day at a time or that hour at a time um, and, and trying to, I guess, have a plan, have a structure, have a routine, but not putting it all that expectation on ourselves that, that we do. And, and that was probably something that really rung true with me. And obviously with bipolar, the moods and things like that, when you do start to, to I guess it's about slowing down, putting yourself in the present um, and, and things like that. But um, do you want me to keep telling my story or? Yeah, this is great. Yeah. So from, um, um, from, from that, look, the diagnosis, um, obviously I had those, those issues around the drugs and alcohol. So, um, I, I did have to do a, a, a drug rehabilitation program and, and spend some time to be able to work through that, which was, uh, it, it was challenging. Uh, but what that I guess gave me was an understanding things I needed to stop doing, start doing some changes I needed to make about myself. And they're things that I guess, throughout that time as well, like of, 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 I guess what, what the word is falling off the, the wagon or, uh, struggled as well. Um, after that, but being now able to have the, the awareness and the understanding and the tools and the support, it's made the, the world a difference. Um, mo moving forward with that, I did get back to playing football, uh, which it took me about 12 months to get back on a footy field, both mentally and physically healthy. Okay. And, uh, look, I ended up playing 150 games with the Dragons um, across a nine-year period. Played Australian Prime Minister's City Country. Um, got to play with some great players, play against some great players, something I'm very grateful for. Uh, but during that time as well, I did go and study. I uh, studied a fair bit at TAFE and at university uh, to put the lived experience with the qualifications yeah. to be able to... I always wanted to start something and, and do something using the power of story, but then also having the best practice research back clinically validated elements to be able to really, I guess, provide people the tools to be able to better manage themselves and their mental health, but also to be able to better support someone as well. Um, so I did study a uh, range of things at TAFE and then social work, which, yeah, the, the education has been the key to it all because we don't know what we don't know. And, yeah. and for me, the more I, I, I knew, the, the more I could, I guess, make better decisions for myself, put better things in place for myself, um, and, and when you start doing better things, you start, you start feeling better and, and good things start, yeah. start happening. Um, so from there, yeah, look in 2015, um, unfortunately I got, uh, I, I got pushed into to retirement. Um, I had a career ending knee injury where I had to get a high TV osteotomy and my leg broken, bone taken out, put wow. back together, plates and screws. That was now... Well, that was my 10th surgery. I've actually had surgery in COVID where I ruptured my pec about four months ago. So, wow. um, yeah, so definitely had plenty of surgery. So I understand the, the pain aspect of, uh, of things. But, yeah, being forced into retirement, it, was, uh, it wasn't easy. That identity and purpose was taken away. And as you, you heard earlier in my story, that identity, purpose and things like that were uh, elements that kept me on the straight and narrow. So I was worried was going back to that place in 2010 uh, with the, the retirement, but I was lucky that I had the, the support networks around me. Um, I, I knew that it was okay to struggle. Uh, I knew it was okay. You didn't have to have your shit together all the time. Um, but I also knew how to better manage myself. Um, so I didn't 
turn to drugs and alcohol this time. Uh, I put the, the right protective factors in place and I was able to transition through retirement, which for a lot of players is not easy. Uh, and a lot of players do struggle with it. Uh, from that, I was able to, I did go back and work in rugby league in welfare and education, which was my dream job when I, when I, when I first start, finished. But I'd started the mental health movement uh, as an Instagram page, just sharing parts of my own story. And then sort of in 20, 2016, I, I registered as, as a business, um, as a company. And then we got some research done. We got uh, the, the right clinicians in and we developed our mental health workplace blueprint, um, which is four stages, awareness, education, training and resources. And we've now delivered that and implemented that into nearly, nearly 72 different companies. Um, wow. and, and with over 300,000 Australian employees, we've got a team of 13 now. Um, and the kind of rest is history. We're absolutely loving what we're doing. But in terms of that identity and purpose being taken away when I first retired, there can sometimes be that void left. And with that void for a lot of individuals can come struggle. And for me, I was lucky enough to be able to fill that void with very similar things to what rugby league gave me, which was yeah. structure, routine, um, having teammates around you, uh, doing things to get yourself outside your comfort zone, um, doing things that challenge you, but also providing service to others, um, which is which is something I've, I've found more identity, purpose and belonging in what I'm doing now at Mental Health Movement than I ever did when I was playing for rugby league. Uh, it was kind of, I look at that now, was the that was just the vehicle to get me to where yeah. I am today. Um, and I'm lucky enough, I've got some fantastic team members. I've got two ex-NRL players as well in Ashton Sims and, and Chris Houston. But I've also got wow. another, an ex-pro surfer, Brett Canellan, um, who... Okay is something that he got attacked by a great white shark uh, and almost lost his oh, wow. life. And that was something that I guess changed him physically, but it also changed him mentally. And uh, he's now on a, on a different journey and he's with us with the mental health movement and doing some fantastic things in the space. Um, and then obviously the, the other people around it, but I'm just, I guess the things that have really helped uh, for, for, for me is definitely changing my mindset. Um, and, and as much as I don't 100% do it all the time, but being grateful for what I do have and what I am doing, as opposed to always focusing on what you don't have or what you're not doing or yeah. what's next. Or, and it, not, not for everyone, but for me, comparison's the thing for joy. I, I, don't really, I don't like comparing myself to other people. I kind of you stay in your own lane um, and, and, and focus on, on looking after yourself, but trying to be a better version of yourself so that then you are better at work, you are better for your loved ones, you are better for your family, and, and you're better for yourself. Um, and then probably being proactive, not waiting till you're in the red, not waiting till shit hits the fan, Yeah. having that self and that check-in. So, you know, when you are kind of sliding down, um, how you're traveling for the people that are listening and or watching, this is our mental health continuum. Uh, it's just one of the tangible tools that we educate on, uh, around checking in with your own mental health, um, and understanding where you are on the continuum. So you, you, you've got some insight in what you need to put in place for yourself. So that's probably some, some things. And then also the support, knowing that yeah. you've got people around, don't judge you. They don't treat you differently. They're there to support you. They care about you and actually using them because some people have got a really good support network, but they don't use them because yeah, of the stigma, the stereotype and judgment. So yeah, my poor support network getting absolute hammering, but um, it's, <laughs> uh, it's something that's, uh, that's helped me. That's amazing. I want to just circle back real quick to what you said 
about using the language around chronic illness because one of the things we try to do at chronic hope is say someone's living with a chronic condition someone's not struggling with a chronic condition because it changes that language around i'm not struggling i'm living and i'm living a full life just because i have a chronic illness or mental health condition doesn't mean that i'm less than someone who doesn't have one of those things so i totally agree around the language yeah and then in terms of like work and all of that because obviously this is your space what was it like for you i mean obviously it's a very different thing playing rugby and being a professional sports player but what was it like for you telling your workplace about what you were going through and maybe what is what's some advice that you would give someone with a chronic illness who's or a mental health condition who's sort of in that stage where they they kind of need that help, but it's scary. They were worried about losing their job, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, look, it's a, it's a really, really good question. And there's probably not really any one straight answer to it. So I'll try and answer it as clearly as possible. But um, for me, the first part of your question is, look, for me, we had a very close-knit team at the time. I was like, Wayne Bennett was there and, and we were very close. So for me, after I was diagnosed, I actually stood up in front of my team. Like, Obviously, it's not like a workplace wow. of three thousand. It was that was I was twenty. Well, with the full squad, there's thirty, but there was probably 20, 20 that I stood up in front of, and I shared my upbringing, I shared my struggles, I shared my diagnosis, and I just said to them, "Look, I really need you to support me in terms of holding me accountable on things." Um, but you, you guys, I spend most probably more time with you all than and than anyone. So, yeah. um, you're going to be part of my support network, um, and look that's probably where the penny dropped for me that I knew there was something in the power of story because even some of the players afterwards, they'd come to me and share their struggles or open up to me because they know I'd been through it. And that's where that penny dropped around vulnerability uh, in particular yeah. for men that uh, it's not that you've got to go and post it all over social media or tell the world, but you've got to have people in your life that you can take the mask off in front of and that you can be your authentic self to because then you don't feel like you're constantly carrying around this burden of struggle. Um, you can just be yourself and so you can breathe again. So having the right people in your support network, I think is really, really important. There's a lot of people out there that have got the wrong people in their support network, people that are judgmental, people that will throw it back in your face, people that will tell you to get over it and harden up, people that will tell you, well, you've got nothing to, to whinge about. You've got a good job. You've got a nice house, a nice car. What have you got to be struggling about? Like, that, that struggles don't make people exempt because you've got a nice house and a nice car. Yeah. Like, such an <laughs> exactly. ignorant uh, comment, but having people, the wrong people in your support network, you want people there that are sliding you back up here, not opening up to them and they're actually sliding you down the continuum. So I think that's really important. In a workplace, look, in today's day and age, I can't obviously talk for every company, but the companies that we've worked with, uh, we've had people that have been going through a range of issues from mental health issues, mental illness, from substance use issues, from addiction, uh, gambling. And the companies that we have worked with, um, we've encouraged um, the, the individuals that were struggling to, I guess, because uh, obviously best practice is you've got to get those people to support through the, either their employee assistance program or other clinical support. And the companies have been uh, very, very supportive um, with that. Uh, which, which oh, I'm not going to say surprising, but it's it's something that shows me that we've come a long, long way from 
even when I was diagnosed in 2010, which it's nearly 11 years ago now, we have come a very long way. Yeah. Um, workplaces are proactive in, well, they're starting to become proactive. Others are, are more proactive than some, but I think that if you are someone that's in a workplace and you are struggling, it's not that you've got to go and tell the whole workplace, but it, if, if you are going through a tough time, I really urge you to start making some changes, uh, start that conversation with the right people uh, and, and, get, and get get into that support. Uh, just build your support network, get some coping strategies and self-care in place uh, because you don't have to do any of it on your own. I thought that being resilient was not struggling, which yeah. being resilient is about struggling and it's about learning and adapting and growing and, and bouncing back, but you can't become resilient without struggle. That's part of the human experience is, is struggle. Unfortunately, yeah, it is struggle. It's true. But if you speak to a lot of people and you connect with them uh, in a conversation like this, you, you, you will understand that how people are shaped and how they're, they're formed themselves is through the struggles and, and the triumphs, but through the life experience they've been through. And some of those life experiences are struggle, um, which I, I found that some of the most resilient people have some of the most amazing stories true yeah and so in terms of I guess you're talking a lot about your support network and I love that I totally agree I didn't have that when I had chronic fatigue syndrome which I think contributed to it how do you how do you go about I guess getting those people the, the right people and knowing who the right people are what does that look like to kind of build that network sometimes it's a bit of trial and error definitely yeah uh, and then I think it's also the tough conversations. Uh, like uh, for, for, for me, it was more communicating with the people around you that, that you you valued and you wanted in your support network, but, uh, letting them know kind of what you needed from them as well. Uh, but it's also about communicating with them. It is to, to and fro. And uh, having people in your support network is fantastic, but it's also providing those people support as well when they need it. So it is a bit of a, a two way street, but for me finding the right support networks, I, I had a look at some of the key elements that make up a good support network, which is people that uh, it, it's, it's not all about them. They're, they're supporting you because they want to support you. So you know how you get the people where you yeah. start a conversation, you start telling them, look, I'm, I'm battling here. I'm doing this. It's like, Oh, that's all right. Just go do this, this and this, or, Oh, you got nothing to worry about. There's, there's starving kids in Africa. Like, yeah, there is starving kids in Africa, but I don't want you dismissing my struggles of what I'm, yeah. I'm talking about. Like, it may not be a struggle to you, but it is to me. So getting people in there that are not judgmental, that don't dismiss your struggles, someone that listens instead of tries to talk over you all the time and someone that's got your best interest at heart. So if you they see you doing something that's not good for you, they'll call you on it and they'll hold you accountable yeah. and say, well, that's not for you. You shouldn't be doing that. Like. And, and having those people, I think, has made a, a massive difference. My wife's one of them. Sometimes we butt heads, but um, she's no yeah, she's she's my biggest support network. It keeps me on the, the straight and narrow as much as I don't like it sometimes. It's so important in having those right people. Um, we've got some resources as well that I'll send through to you yeah. um, where there is one profile of a good support network um, and you can share with your, your listeners and, and, and things we like that, that as well, which just makes it – very clear, simple, and effective how to find that right person. Yeah. And another question in terms of, I guess you talk about your journey, especially as a man, 
vulnerability can be very challenging. Why do you think there's so much stigma around men with mental or physical health issues? And how, what can we do to start to kind of break that and give men the freedom to talk more about it? Why, why there is so much stigma relating to both mental and physical illness and, and issues or disorders, I think it, it, it comes a lot to conditioning. Uh, yeah. We haven't ever availability or access to so much good information. Um, obviously with the digital world that we're now in. So uh, the way in which we were conditioned in the past was if you had a struggle or you had an issue, grab a tissue. It was just, we don't, we don't hear about it. Yeah. I remember when I first started at Woolworths um, and I was working in the fruit and veg department, my boss, I, I was struggling. I was 15 or something, 16. And they said, don't bring your problems into work. I'm like, well, wow. I spent 40 hours here. Where else am I supposed to take them? So from a young age, you kind of taught, to, to deal with it, to yeah. suck it up, princess. So if you do have a struggle, people just keep it to themselves. Where yeah. we know now that with the information, the education, the learnings, the best practice, and from people with the lived experience, there's a process. Just because you want to seek support or show some vulnerability or put some things in place, it does not mean you're weak. It means you're smart. It means that you wanted to be doing better than what you are. You want to learn to manage, not struggle or suffer. And if that yep. means seeking support through your family member, friend or someone like that, or changing your diet or uh, changing your workplace, or if it means going to find a psychologist or a counselor or a psychiatrist, if it means having to be prescribed the right medication with the right diagnosis, or if it's everything involved, it's, that's, it's, it's not a weakness. It's, you just want to be doing better than what you are. And, uh, we're not always going to be the best versions of ourselves every day, but at least if we're just moving forward in the right direction, trying to be, I think that there's enough identity and purpose in that um, to, to be able to do that. But I think the, the answer to your question in terms of how do we change it, it's edu it was awareness, which we're always going to need to have awareness, but I think we need to take the next step, which is education. And then from the education and the training and the resources as you're doing with Chronic Hope, it's then about the application of that because you can provide someone everything, but if you don't actually get in the seat of the car and start the ignition and put your foot on the accelerator, that's you, not, yeah. yeah, you can, it's, yeah, that's exactly that. It's, I think the next stage is education and then we're going to transition into application, the application of the awareness, the education, the training and the resources to be able to help ourselves and, and help each other. Yeah. And you bring up a good point in terms of the, the idea of it's actually a, you're smart asking for help. And I've never thought of it that way, but it's actually true when you're getting yourself out of a bad situation or asking for help, it's actually be, not because you're weak. It's because you're smart and doing the right thing. And even if we could just switch the mindset around that, that could be, a big thing and you're and then again you're right there's a lot of awareness around especially mental health issues not as much chronic illness and invisible illness but what's the next step the next step is getting access to those resources using them having the courage to step out and I love that because it's it's kind of what, what both of our organizations are trying to do is is offer those resources yeah. Um, well, the interesting thing is, and, and we do educate on it, but out of all the, the, the data and uh, research that we've done at the mental health movement, um, physical illness 
was or physic, poor physical health was the sixth biggest contributing factor towards the poor mental health of an Australian employee, and illness and pain were were in that. Uh, and and yeah. I live with chronic pain every day. I've got absolutely zero cartilage um, in, in my left knee. Uh, I've got a, a bulging disc L five S one pushing on a sciatic nerve in my my back. I just ruptured like yeah, my body's cactus, and I understand what it's like living and managing chronic pain every day. Um, and for, for me as well, like I battled with painkillers because you're kind of, you're between a rock and a hard place. You need the painkillers to get through the day, but then you justify it to yourself. You might have one or two more or, or, or that more, or I'll have it this day as well. And then next minute over, look, yeah, over a month I was addicted and it's still something that I, I, I manage. Um, you still have those thoughts like, cause you're in pain every day. So it, it is a constant um, yeah. management and, and it is a bit of to and fro, but uh, in, in saying that, yeah, I, I don't want you, want to dismiss what you said there around uh, chronic pain and illness. It is one of the biggest contributing factors that affects people's mental health. And chronic pain changes the way you think. It changes the way you perceive things. And when you change those things, you're going to change the way you interact with the world. And that they're the facts. Yeah, and honestly, I wonder if, because you're saying you talked a little bit about childhood trauma and what I've noticed, I obviously haven't done research is that childhood trauma can actually is very co highly correlated with mental and physical health issues. Cause I yeah. had childhood trauma as well and down the line am still struggling with that. So yeah. There's, there's, lost yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's such a complex sort of thing like chronic conditions, et cetera. But the more we can get those different pieces, the better. And I'm well, I'll, I'll give you one of the things that we educate on. So there's a common question that gets asked a lot. Why do some people experience good mental health? Why do other people experience poor mental health? And then some people experience mental illness. Why is that? Yeah. So there's a lot of people's opinions and things around what that is. It's all they're, they're weak or they're not resilient or they don't know how to handle life or whatever it is. But the clinical or the best practice way to answer that question is there is no one set answer, but there's a model called the biopsychosocial model. So what that is, it's three components. One component is the biology. So individuals can be born with a predisposed mental illness gene, a physical illness gene that can put them at high risk of going through a mental health struggle or being diagnosed with a mental illness. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean if your mother or father has depression that you're going to have depression, but it does mean that you're yeah. higher at high risk. Some individuals are born with a learning difficulty, with a physical disability, uh, and, and, and those things. So they're the, the genetics and the bio, biology factors around that, that question. The next aspect of it is the psychology. So the way in which an individual thinks. Your perception is different to mine. Your opinion is different to mine. doesn't mean one's yeah. right or wrong. A pessimist and an optimist, they're going to get different outcomes on things. They're going to see things differently. But the way in which we think impacts the risk or answering that question in why do some people experience good mental health, poor mental health and other people mental illness. The last aspect is the social or the environment. So that's anything and everything within our environment, anything that we go through, as you said, yeah. from past experiences, early life trauma, grief, loss. Uh, it could be our jobs, work, finances, relationship, kids, all these contributing factors that we go through that affect our mental health. So as you can see, they can also correlate or permeate where there's that comorbidity, uh, where for me, for example, we did have a predisposed mental illness gene in our family. Okay. I did 
go through domestic violence, drug abuse, trauma, things growing up. I played in a high pressure environment and I did go through that physical illness, injury, and I had struggles with drugs and alcohol, which as you can see, all of those aspects were covered to why I was, went through a mental health struggle and was diagnosed with a mental illness. Now, a lot of those yeah. things we can't manage or have control over in terms of our biology and our genetics, but a lot of the things within our environment and the way in which we think, they can be managed. I'm not saying controlled, but they can be better managed. Yeah. And that's where you start to put those coping strategies, protective factors and elements in place to be able to manage that. Does that kind of make a, a bit of sense where it's, there's yeah. no one set reason why individuals... I think as well, it's such a good point because those factors, like you said, are out of your control. Whereas a lot of people with mental health issues think it's their fault or are told it's their fault that they've done X amount of things wrong. But when you take that out of it, it's like, oh, I have a condition that needs treatment and I have this condition because of factors that I can't control. And there's more grace for that. If Does that make sense? And even like because I didn't know that and that's why I love having these chats on the podcast because I learn things and it also kind of takes the it it, it's empowering because I guess for me because it's like going from the victim where um I have no control you do because you can look at those factors and then do things to mitigate the symptoms of growing up but the other thing with mental illness for example like when someone is experiencing clinical depression, like literally it changes the neurochemistry in your brain. So being able yeah. to tell someone that uh, is living or managing chronic uh, depression to snap out of it or to get over it or to just change your mindset, like you, you, you can't. The, no, the debilitating nature of chronic severe depression is as debilitating um, in, in the mental health first aid course, it talks about it. it's as debilitating as paraplegia. That's the, wow. the debilitating nature. Um, but because we can't see it, what we don't see, a lot of us, we don't understand. And for a lot of us, what we don't understand, we fear. Um, but I, I don't think a lot of people in society don't understand the debilitating nature of mental illness um, when, when they are in the, the ill end of that continuum. And when they are struggling, like I did a lot of my placement um, in a, in a mental health hospital, in a rehab facility, um, and seeing the chronic end um, of individuals struggling with bipolar yeah. disorder, with mood, with PTSD, with anxiety, with depression, uh, with schizophrenia, with psychosis, these things, uh, there is so much misunderstanding around it and lack of awareness and education, um, that the society puts on, 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 indiv- on yeah. individuals managing going through that. I think that can be done a, a whole lot better. Um, yeah. Bit of a rabbit hole there, but that was. No, that good. was good. I'm actually wondering, um, we don't have heaps more time, but I'm wondering if you could quickly go through the continuum that's behind you, just um, for those that yep. want to watch on YouTube. Yeah, easy. So uh, yeah, this is a continuum. Why we developed it was you can't see mental health. And for a lot of us, what we don't see, we don't understand. As I said, if you want to check in on your physical health, you can get on a set of scales, you can get an MRI, you can get an X-ray, uh, blood pressure, all those different things. But our mental health, what? How do we check in on ourselves? So we developed something that's tangible that you can see it. It's pretty self-explanatory. There's the different colours: green, yellow, orange, red. Um, and on top, you've got the indicators. On the bottom, you've got the actions. 
um, and it's got healthy at this end, sliding at this end, struggling and ill. Um, and the thing about it is we all move up and down this every day. Reasons yeah. being, well, they're the contributing factors, the change, challenge, or adversity, the shit we go through in life that affects our mental health. So the things that slide us down could be relationships, it could be work, stress, finances, COVID, illness, pain. But then we need to look at, well, check in on yourselves. Where are you on this continuum? And depending on where you are, we'll give you some really good insight in what you need to put in place to help yourself bounce back up here. And yeah. for a lot of people in Australia, 54% of people that do slide down here, they don't seek support. They do exactly yeah. as I did in suffering. So the key is if we can identify when we slide down here and have that self-awareness and then proactively put some things in place, we might only go from here to here. But if you, you do those things, little steps each day, have the supports, the coping strategies, that it might be medication, yeah. might be structure routine, uh, self-care, we, we can slide ourselves back up here. Um, and, 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 and that's kind of what, what, what we do. It's about then asking yourself, where are you on the continuum today? And depending on where you are, what are you putting in place for yourself to help manage yourself where you are and get yourself back up that yeah. continuum? And the thing about it is, look, I still have days where I wake up here and I, yeah. I identify that. So where and I realize there's some days where I just have to disengage. And I put some self-care in place. I talk to my support networks and I might spend a week floating from here to here. But then I proactively put those things in place instead of self-sabotage, instead of self-medication, which would slide me further down here. Yeah. It's about proactively putting the things in place that will help you slide back up here. Um, and that's, that's kind of how you use it. Yeah. The other thing is mental illness does not discriminate. It can affect anyone at any time. Yeah. A nice house, a good car. Uh, a good job and got plenty of money does not mean you're exempt from going through a mental health struggle or, or, or a mental illness, which I think is really important to understand. Yeah. And we'll, for those listening, we will put that, uh, we'll link that mental health continuum on the show notes. So everyone can have a look at it and also can watch it on the YouTube channel. Thanks for going through that. And look, I think we're out of time, but thanks so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your journey. There's so much gold there. And and thanks for being vulnerable and sharing your story with what you're doing with the mental health movement. I think it's really helping people and unlocking that um, courage to be able to start talking about that stuff. No, thank you. Um, can I just give a little plug too to our mental health uh, community yeah. blueprint? So we've developed um, with the success of our workplace blueprint, a community blueprint. So uh, we've got some merchandise on our website. If you want to go to www.mhmthestore.com.au, you can purchase uh, budgie smugglers, smuglets yeah. for the ladies, uh, keep cups. Yeah, just merchandise and all profits go towards the delivery of free mental health awareness training and resources wow. to sporting and community organizations. Um, so yeah, if you wanted to support a good cause and also um, get a pair of smugglers for the uh, upcoming summer, I'll get get the dad bought out like yeah. me. But uh, I'll just give that a plug. We've uh, we've had five suicides in nearly six weeks down here in our wow. local community. So it was something that we we needed to address. So um, yeah, I just thought I'd give that a plug anyway. Yeah, of course. I'll put we'll put that in the show notes as well, so those listening can go to the show notes and go buy some budgie smugglers. <laughs> Yeah. I'll, uh, I'll also send you our support network toolbox and our profile of good support um, that you can add into the notes to, to provide okay. your listeners. Sounds All great. Good. Well, thanks again. 
Thanks for listening to the Sound of Hope podcast. If you want access to show notes, go to chronichope.org, where you can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter. And make sure to follow us on our Instagram, at chronic underscore hope. See you next week.